Greetings and welcome to the writings of Soren Kierkegaard. I am Kierkegaard, of course, and it is good to be with you again this fine morning, 4.30 a.m. Pennsylvania time. I'm an early riser, which means by implication that I'm a go to bed. Go to bed early. It's just the way it works. Um, yeah, I have to remember my friends don't wake up at 4, 4 a.m. Sometimes I get texts at night when I'm sleeping or messages. And then my uh, task orientation wants to take over and, and text people back or message people back. And then I have to remember that, uh, yeah, most people aren't up at 4 a.m. So I'm an early riser. Years of school uh, taught me that. I like getting up early and getting stuff done. I like to work out in the morning, usually. Um, but after the podcast, of course. So today we're getting into uh, how to preserve one's soul and patience versus, versus gain. I like the the term preserve, like, you know, that jam, it's called preserves, how to preserve it, how to preserve your jam, how to preserve your jam, you know, how the word jam is used these days, that, that, uh, that coffee is my jam, or that activity is my jam, so preserve one's soul and patience versus uh, gain, but we're going to transition from uh, upbuilding discourse number nine to ten, so this is slow going, But we grind through, man. We grind through. And uh, it's amazing what you can do if you just grind it out. It's an old church song, Grind It Out. Look it up on YouTube. It's good. The band The Church. They're, they're not Christians, but they call themselves The Church. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to finish up on... Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm fighting off a little bit of a... A little bit of a cold here. Not not bad. I was able to get some 100-proof bourbon on it early, and it helps... Um, but we'll just take it from here, and then we'll finish up on 9 and get into 10. I just gargle with the bourbon. I don't drink it when I'm trying to fight off some kind of virus or something or bacteria. Impatience, the soul comes to terms with all its possessions, with the life and the world, and that it sufferingly gains it, itself from it. Now, so suffering is a way that God weans us from the world. If, if things went our way all the time, we would love the world in a way that we're not supposed to love. It's a bit of a clarification or a nuance type of thing. We're supposed to love the world, love the people in the world. I guess that's the better way of saying it. But that's the world to us is the people uh, besides nature and all that and animals and things. But we're not to love the world. And that's kind of like this unconditional love where we're making something conditional, unconditional. Uh, the world's conditional, of course. It's going to pass away. And... Um, but suffering is a way that God weans us from it. Uh, we start to realize the world is, is tragic in a, in a very real way. We're all going to pass away. We're all going to die. And it's not going to be pretty. Nobody's going to go like Elijah, you know, out in the fiery chariot. Uh, one of the few people in the scriptures that didn't die a, at least a painful death, you know. Uh, I think there's others that kind of died in, in a more passive way. Moses or Joseph or things like that. But anyway, usually death is not pretty. Usually people are dying from something. And patience, the soul, comes to terms with all its possession, uh, possessors. Okay, that's better to say it that way. <clears throat> and patience, the soul, comes to terms with all its possessors. So uh, Soren's inferring that we're possessed by these things. With the life in the world in it, that it is sufferingly gained, gains itself from it with God, and that it sufferingly accepts itself from him. Uh, with itself and that itself retains what it simultaneously gives to both without anyone's being able to deprive the soul of it. P 
patience. The soul can obtain nothing through power. And we talked about this last week just to reiterate that the soul surrenders to God and a greater power. Uh, the soul can obtain nothing through power. In the world, that's anti-worldly message the world teaches and you listen to uh, influencers and brand pushers and the whole crowd out there that you know always talks about being very aggressive and go for it. That's not how the soul develops. The soul can obtain nothing through power. Uh, and what we mean by this is self-power, self-assertion. And many things can happen in the world through that exertion of will. Uh, and there's no doubt about it, but you're not going to grow your soul in that way. It's by surrendering to a greater power, uh, who is God. It is in the hands of an alien power. <clears throat> That's referring to um, the Lord himself. If the soul were free in some other way, it would not be the self-contradiction and the contradiction between the external and the internal, the temporal and the eternal. The self-contradiction is again expressed in the soul's being stronger than the world through its weakness, and it's being weaker than God through its strength, and its inability to gain anything but itself unless it wants to be deceived, and it's being able to gain itself only by losing itself. And so Jesus teaches that if you want to gain your life, you must lose it, and that's that false self that we were, we're born into, or born into a self a false self. We must die to that false self and become the, the people that God intends us to be. But what is the human soul? Now this is interesting. Soren asks the question, but what is, the hu what, is, what is a human soul? He doesn't really answer it. This is common of Soren. That he'll, he'll, ri he'll raise a question, not give you an immediate answer. He answers it in, in a roundabout way. But it's, it's a fascinating rhetorical style that he has. But what, uh, what, what then is a human soul? If you impatiently ask someone else this question, you will scarcely, scarcely find, how about scarcely, scarcely find the answer, nor are you, as it seems, on the right road. Or is it not a manifestation of, manifestation of impatience that one person hurries forward to explain to everyone, everyone else what the soul is and that a second person waits impatiently for him to explain it. And I'm not going to do that. I was going to explain what I thought the soul was. But guess what? I'm not going to. Uh, that would kind of ruin the, the mystery here. That the hearer impatiently expedites the speaker's explanation of then it turn, in turn becomes impatient because he finds it inadequate. Or was it with this that he ought to be impatient, or was it not as it should be in a stroke of good luck that it was as it should be then? What the speaker said did not bar him from gaining his soul in patience, or should he not rather have become impatient with his having been so impatient? Let me try that again. I think that's just a bit of a... Sounds a bit awkward, but it's how he wrote it. Or should he not rather have become impatient with his having been so impatient? And a bit of a, like a double negative there. And then does his best as a fruit of uh, then does his best as a fruit of impatience to learn to be willing to begin with patience, to know what a human soul is. What this means is still a long way from beginning to gain one's soul in patience. And it is a knowledge that exhibits its difference from, from the gaining inasmuch as it does, does indeed grow in impatience, 
as it does indeed grow in impatience. And even though <clears throat> this knowledge may have its significance, it often deceived a person the very same way the world does, and that he thought he possessed it, whereby it was knowledge that possessed him. <clears throat> so they're not actually uh, possessing their soul in patience or gaining their soul in patience. They just know about it. It's a huge difference. And this is, uh, this is kind of the Judaism and the Jewish thought of, uh, of the scriptures that uh, you, uh, you can know something, which is kind of scholastic or the Greek idea of knowing, and not really practice it. And then knowing it's not enough. It has to be in the soul. It has to be organic. And there's a knowing and there's a doing that's not ritualistic. It's residing from deep within the person. And that's different than like some outward observances. And outward observance is trying to get things in the wrong direction, doing the behavior and expecting it to change you. And that's the Jewish way to do some degree of thinking. And there's some truth in that. But... Jesus makes it clear that like, if you love God and love your neighbor, you will behave appropriately. You won't steal from them. You won't sleep with uh, their spouse, uh, have sex with their spouse. You won't bear false witness. Love is the, uh, is, the, uh, is the nurturance of the soul. Love is how the soul survives. And if you love people, you won't do harm to them. You'll do good things. So that's like an inward-outward thing. But if, her, if a person is to gain his own soul, then he certainly must know it before he begins. This, is, of course, is true precisely because the person who knows his soul has still not therefore gained it. But it is precisely therefore also true that, he, that if he does not begin to gain it, he does not know it. Even if he could know it completely before he gained it in patience, this knowing uh, would still be only a possessing just like that first possessing the condition for him for his being able to gain his soul in patience that is why all knowing that is unrelated to a gaining is incomplete and deficient and as much as a person still does not know how he becomes since he becomes through the gaining and even in association with the gaining he remains deficient for we still do not know what we shall become. First John 3, 2. <clears throat> That's just John kind of pointing out that we don't know what eternity is really going to be like until we're there, until we see the complete fruition of that salvation that God has given us. In this world, <clears throat> our healing is incomplete. It's, it's moving in the right direction, but death moves us to the next realm, and uh, we still do not know what we shall become. The person who knows his soul sees himself uh, in a mirror, but he can forget what he looks like, as the Apostle James says. And therefore, what he goes on to say is pertinent here, that the one who hears the word properly is the one who does it. And that's James, of course. As long as he merely hears the word, he is outside of it. And when the proclaimer is silent, he hears nothing. But when he does the word, he continually hears what he himself is proclaiming to himself. Um, I don't know who said this, but I think maybe it was John Calvin, but please forgive me if I'm wrong, that we preach the gospel to ourselves and that hearing it allows us to internalize it when we're going through hard times. Uh, so when he does the word, and that, again, that's like a Jewish idea. And, and James is very Jewish. He's the younger brother of Jesus, as most scholars think. 
The Catholics don't because they can't see uh, Mary having children after Jesus. and They kind of would play with their dogma. I have no problem with thinking that Mary and Joseph had sex after um, Jesus was born, and she's not uh, in any sense stained by that. Sexuality is a beautiful gift of God. So I think it's quite appropriate that Jesus had younger brothers and sisters, and the scripture portrays it that way, and it's most simple reading. You can argue that they're cousins, but I don't think that's the reading of the word that makes sense. It's Occam's razor. You go with the most simple explanation that fits the conditions. You don't make things more complicated than they need to be. He continually hears what he himself is, pro is, is proclaiming to himself. Uh, so James is very, is very Jewish, and this is a very Jewish idea, but it's Jewish in the right way, that it's internal and then it becomes external as a manifestation of that love. And any uh, mere hearing of the word is infinitely more imperfect than the doing, not only because the doing is superior, but this is why James is criticized, that it does begin to sound like kind of Phariseeism or outward observance, but it's, uh, there's, a, there's a clarification here that Luther was wrong. He's trying to correct an imbalance and a corruption of the, of, of the scriptures by the Catholic Church, but by, by doing so, he's dismissing the idea that there's these qualitative and quantitative differences when you believe internally and ex eternally that it changes you externally and your behavior changes. Uh, so it's the right way of looking at it. It's like one way. It's like that street that is one way. Internal change, external manifestation of the change. And any mere hearing of the word is infinitely more imperfect than the doing, not only because the doing is superior, but because in comparison with the exactitude of the doing, any oral communication is very imperfect, both in its brevity and its prox proxitality. Uh, that word has come up before. So prox uh, proxlixity is kind of the opposite of brevity. Uh, therefore, knowledge of one's soul, if one wants to re regard it as a gaining, is a self-deception because even and its greater completeness, it still is but a hint of what manifests itself in its definitiveness, definiteness uh, during the gaining. I don't know if there's a difference of def, uh, defin, definitiveness versus definiteness. That sounds like kind of the same word, um, same, same type of meaning at least, during the gaining. Excuse me for a moment as I uh, try to clear, clarify and clear out my sinuses. <laughs> Therefore, a person uh, certainly must know his soul in order to gain it, but this knowing is not the gaining inasmuch as in this knowing he ascertains that he is in the hands of an alien power and that consequently he does not possess himself or to define it more closely, he has not gained himself. When the devil believes and yet trembles, and that's again from James, uh, just knowing the scriptures is not enough, when the devil believes and yet trembles, there is a self-knowing in uh, this believing. And the more perfect it is, the more he will tremble precisely because he does not will to gain himself. A person knows his soul then, if he truly knows it as something that he may even be able to describe accurately, but that is in the possession of another and that he probably desires to possess but knowledge as such does not help him in this even though patience is required for this not knowing as for any other this nevertheless is not what the word speaks uh, what the words speak about as is shown by this 
that is in knowledge patience is not simultaneously the conditioned and the conditioned the knower is again deceived just as the merchant would be if uh, if instead of winning <clears throat> knowledge he won patience the knower uh, does just what the hiker does he puts aside his patience when he has one knowledge the person who wants to be patient only in order to know his soul will not gain his soul in patience the person who wants to gain his soul in patience knows that his soul does not belong to him that there is a power from which he must gain it a power by by whom he must gain it and that he must gain it himself he never abandons patience not when he has gained it since it was indeed patience that he gained and as soon as he gives up patience he gives up the acquisition again so people can wax and wane with their souls uh, they can have a high high water or low water mark of how their their soul strength neither does he abandon patience when it seems that his efforts are frustrated because insofar as that is the case he knows that it must be because of a wrong kind of patience or because of impatience therefore when he gains uh, patience in the terrible moment of decision or gains it slowly he gains his soul in patience whether he is immediately transferred into eternity or from that moment on he is transferring himself at every moment into eternity when the impatience of feelings dangles the game before him he knows that it is deceiving him for it wants to render patience superfluous to him and the gain is only impatience when the impatience of knowledge wants to safeguard the gain for him indeed the gain in all its multiplicity he knows that it deceives for it wants to dismiss patience and the gain is only impatience and patience is not the multifarious but the single and the simple when the intention wants to take the gain by force and that's a referral to jesus uh, talking about the strong take the take the building by force the strong man bind the strong man I remember pat robertson used to say that a lot when he was praying for healing for people bind the strong man when the intention wants to take the gain by force he knows that it, it, it is deceiving him because all it also takes patience uh, by force when the past wants to shock him with its horrors, the future with its anxious expectancy, when the whole world threatens him with its atrocities, when time enters the world's service to prolong the pain and the agony inordinately, <laughs> or when time does not threaten it this way, but cunningly lets him understand that it never shuts its eyes while he is sleeping, then he knows that this is all a deception not its threats not whether it has the power to carry them out but that it is a deception that this will render patience superfluous to him and if he ever did begin on it make him regret it as one who was not able to endure and this this will separate from him the patience from the gain that it remains in patience when everyone has taken his own down to the last penny should we uh, now ask who described this conflict properly as if uh, the proclamation were not always perfect and as if the proclamation were not always something other than the gain 
And if the description would not tempt the speaker to impatience and the expression of passion and the listener to impatience and listening and the impatience and demanding new discourse, whether he found the one heard to be too elaborate, um, too elaborate, and then the speaker should praise him if he, it, did, it did not mean his soul was utterly thoughtless or too simple, which certainly should not be praised for the person who thinks that multiplicity and multitudinousness assist him in the gain like the person who believes that simplicity stops him since only the simple is an assistance or was not the description itself something that the world and time were capable of taking away without taking away the patience and the gain that it impatience which even the moment of death gains a person his soul for the eternal if he dies in patience. So that's the end of number nine. That's a complicated reading for sure. And there's a lot of back and forth. Uh, but you win by losing. I guess that's that's the uh, that's the thing. And think about like when we're frustrated. And uh, this happens to me sometimes when I'm driving because I drive a lot during the day uh, as I am retired. And so I am part of the retired class, but I'm on the young side. so. Even though I'm 60 years old, there are plenty of people that are older than me that are out shopping or out driving. And one thing about older drivers is that they're slow. You know, I think what happens, and this is this is just going to happen to me and it happens to everybody. As you get older, you start going slower. Your body's not quite as agile, and that's an understatement. You often have conditions or diseases or just wearing out man our body wears out so people move slow and they drive slow and they shop slow and when I'm out in the road a lot of our roads around here I don't live in a metro area I live in a eh, kind of a uh, suburban rural type of environment with uh, the town of Lancaster being about 15 minutes away and it can get crowded down there but the roads still are not like three three lanes everything's two lanes and this is what frustrates me, and this is where I have to like lay it down. I'm going to confess something here that doesn't make me appear like a spiritual giant, but at least I'm aware of it, and I know I need to grow in this area. But uh, So you have two lanes. Let's say Route 30, which is one of the big arteries around here. It kind of goes right through the heart of Lancaster County, and it goes from west to east. It's called the old Lincoln Highway, and it's one of the oldest uh, turnpikes, or was a turnpike, but one of the oldest highways in the United States. It goes across the river. And Route 30, I think, goes all the way out to California eventually. I'm not sure about that, but I think so. So you have people on the left lane, which is supposed to be the passing lane. They're treating it as kind of the Autobahn. They're going super, super fast. So it's usually 75, 80 miles an hour. The road uh, is 55 here. And then you have these really slow cars in the, in the right lane. And it, if there was a third lane, these problems would be solved. There was a third lane, I could just be right in the middle, you know, and I'm going, you know, 55, 60, 65. That's all fine. The problem is when people are going super slow in the right lane, which is usually old people, not always, but usually, and you have people going super fast in the left lane who are treating it like it's just a Autobahn and they're not just using it to pass and get back in the right lane. It creates this chaos because you can't really pull easily into the left lane when you're trying to pass somebody who's going slow. And then you have the merge coming. You have people coming into the road, which means you need to get out of the way. And if people are flying in the left lane, and then there's people going slow in the right lane, 
Uh, it's not easy. It gets very, very complicated. If people were more in the same general vicinity speed-wise, this whole thing would flow a lot better. They got selfish people on the left who are flying. It has nothing to do with conservatism or liberalism. It's just it's a selfishness that I have somewhere to be and you're getting the F out of my way. And you have people being selfish in the right lane that don't realize that it's lawful to go to the speed limit. You don't have to be going 50 miles an hour. You don't have to be going 45. If you can't drive the speed limit, Maybe you shouldn't be on the road. I'm sorry. That's how I feel. And if we had a third lane where, you know, the slow pokes and the, and the fast, arrogant drivers could do their thing and just be in that middle lane going about 55 to 65, that would solve a lot of problems. And culturally, that's kind of what's happening these, day, these days. We, we have the kind of the, the arrogant lane and we have the slow lane, you know, and these two, these two parties are ruining it. For that middle lane, the middle lane doesn't exist. So that because these these two different lanes can't reconcile and realize that you got to give something something up in order to make it work better. And there's been all these accidents on Route 30 recently, and I don't know if it's worse. Uh, the United States is the only civilized country. That's not the right word to use, but the developing world that where accidents are going up, and they say it's probably because of our phones that we can't stay off our phones. Most countries realize that if you're driving, you shouldn't be looking at your phone. It, it surprises me. I go out for walks and runs against the traffic, and I see people on their phones all the time. And there's some times where it's appropriate, like if you're looking at your GPS or something. Uh, but it's clear that people aren't. They're texting and they're checking out social media. I was talking to a guy that does deliveries for a local company all across the uh, eastern seaboard, and I asked him how he spends his time. He says he watches YouTube videos while he's driving. I don't know, man. Yeah, you can listen to it, but you shouldn't be looking at him. So anyway, um, he backed off a little bit after he he, uh, he confessed that one. He said he listened to the YouTube videos, but it was very clear from the beginning that he was talking about watching YouTube videos while he's driving. And then, and then I, I knew the company he works for, and I'm like, hmm, that doesn't sound real good. That doesn't really sound real good. So let's go to Preserve One's Soul and Patience here. So there's... Our society right now is that we don't have a lot of a middle ground. I think this is what Jesus meant by the narrow way. It's very easy to go into one lane or the other and go go uh, either too slow or too fast. And this is just a metaphor uh, for the mentality that's out there. Both are selfish in their own way. And if we had a third lane, if we had a middle lane, a lot of these problems would be taken care of. And I drive sometimes up in New York where they do have three lanes. And it's amazing how comfortable of a drive it is. You don't have to worry about the merge. You don't have to worry about the slow pokes. You don't have to worry about the, the fast people that are going 90 miles an hour to your left that you don't see. Oh, man, what a mess. Anyway, I need to become more patient with that, patient with that because I get frustrated very, very easily. Uh, when I'm in these situations where people are just being ignorant. And it, it makes people, uh, places, uh, all the other people, they're trying to do the right thing in danger. Uh, driving a, a vehicle, a two-ton vehicle at 90 miles an hour on a 55-mile-an-hour road is dangerous, and it's selfish, and it's, 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 it's reckless behavior. And going too slow is also reckless. We often don't see slowness as reckless, but it is. And if people can't abide by the freaking speed limit they have to get off the freaking road and it frustrates me that the police don't do their job but anyway i'm gonna go off that ramp uh, so this is a preface for uh to pre preserve one's soul and patience like jam although this little book which is called uh discourses not sermons and uh sermon uh soren wrote these books uh, these upbuilding discourses when he was in his mid-30s i think a little bit below maybe uh, some like 30 to 35 somewhere in there 
because it's and the spiritual maturity that he expresses here is just amazing for somebody in their in their early to mid thirties. Its author does not have authority, uh, which uh, Soren takes to mean state authority. He's not an ordained uh, Lutheran pastor to pre preach upbuilding discourses, not discourses for upbuilding, because the speaker by no means claims to be a teacher. And this is a little bit. Um, false humility here by Soren or ironic or something. He is teaching people. I don't know how else to call it. Uh, if they're learning something, he's taught them that. So it's okay to call him a teacher, but he, he renounces the label. Has left out something. It nevertheless has forgotten nothing, although it is not without hope in the world. It nevertheless totally renounces all hope in the uncertain or of the uncertain. Tempted perhaps as the earlier ones were not. It takes no delight in going to the house of feasting. Uh, that's out of the scriptures. Desires as little as they that it visits might be in vain. First Thessalonians two one. That's Paul talking to the the church of Thessalonica. Even though a, it's hard to pronounce things before five a.m. in the morning, the caffeine hasn't done its full work yet. Though a person was not without education insofar as he learned. From what he suffered and that's a line about jesus that he learned so it's amazing that god could learn something we tend to think uh, and this is true about god the father that he's omniscient but it's very clear that jesus learned something when he came here to the world he had not been human before and he learned from what he suffered and i think that's out of hebrews even though that doesn't have a citation on it i believe that's from hebrews that he learned from what he suffered so there's an experiential uh, component of learning that jesus the son of god did not know until he came into the came onto this planet. He learned from what he suffered. It still would not uh, would never be very pleasant if he needed to suffer much in order to learn little. Its desire is to give thanks, if on the word of authority it were to uh, win the tacit permission of the multitude to dare to go its way unnoticed in order to find what it seeks. That single individual. H-I-N, H-I-I-N, capital E-N-K-E-L-T-E. Hein and Kelte. We talked about that as a single individual. Uh, whom I with joy and gratitude call my reader, who with the right hand accepts what is offered with the right hand at the single individual, that single individual who at the opportune time takes out what he received and hides what he took out until he takes it out again and thus by his good will his wisdom invests the humble gift to the benefit and joy of one who continually desires only to be as one absent on a journey so that's the beginning prayer and to preserve one's soul in patience so again this is from luke 21 19 and uh this is different. So we're not gaining our soul, we're preserving it. So let's say that we have some soul success. And one way to know whether we're actually uh, have that soul strength, and this for me would be when I'm driving, am I, am I less frustrated by the stupidity that I see? Am I more uh, philosophical, more at peace? And take advantage of the moment and say, okay, it's frustrating out here, and people are acting selfishly and arrogantly, and that reminds me of how people act selfishly and arrogantly and culture, in our culture and on social media, it's just a, a trait of our times that everybody's so selfish and so uh, self-motivated uh, and don't think about other people at all and put other people at risk. I'll know that I'm becoming more 
soul have soul strength if I can <laughs> abide by being more at peace when I drive. Yesterday I was trying to get a, an old man to take a left-hand turn at a dangerous intersection where we live. It's in a shopping center and it's got two sides of the shopping center and there's a four-way that separates these two halves and it's crazy because you got cars coming in all four directions and there's only stop signs on one side uh, on the shopping center on the other side that there's a pass there's a road that passes through and rather than go straight through the intersection after stopping i'm afraid that some, one of these old codgers is going to take a left turn without seeing me hit my car i try to wave them on and get them out of the way and the dude had plenty of time to turn there was a truck coming but it was at least 150 yards away so i'm like waving my hand to have the guy take the left turn so I can just get him out of the way so I can cross to go to the other part of the shopping center. And the guy's just sitting there. I'm kind of like, come on, just, just go. And then I'm tempted just to floor it and go through it myself, but then he might take the left turn. So I'm trying to get the person out of the way because then I don't have to deal with him anymore. So it's just interesting. And the guy's throwing up his hands. I'm like, well, you just, you, the truck's 150 yards away. You have time to take a left-hand turn. Oh, it's just so frustrating. How someone in the hour of danger in the moment of terror displayed a strength of soul that might truly be called wondrous has often been witnessed with amazement and told with admiration. How swiftly and how resolutely the understanding surveyed everything and it's the horrifying situation. How quickly presence of mind assuredly chose the right thing as if it were the fruit of the most mature reflection. How... Uh, the will, even the eyes, defied the threatening terrors, how the body did not feel uh, the exertion, the agonizing suffering, how the arms t lightly carried the burden that far exceeded human strength, how the feet uh, stood firm where others did not dare to look down because they saw the abyss. You have seen this, my listeners, so we're going to conclude on that for today. But you know, the people uh, people that who were able to re remain uh, let me blow my nose again. <laughs> Remain calm in stressful situation. That's a real trait of success. And uh, it's hard It's hard to have that externally if you don't have that peace inside. It's going to come out. Whatever's inside is going to come out in crisis. And uh, you have to remember like, to just think in order and think patiently and think uh, calmly and assess the situation correctly and diffuse the situation properly. And there's a presence of soul that really helps in all that. It's not just knowledge. It's also like a, a psychological state. And God's very, very patient. And this is what I want to kind of end with today. By the way, um, the event on January 21st, the Kierkegaard Extravaganza, is coming along really well. Jeremiah has developed a script that I'm going to ask him questions. And uh, Jeremiah is the actor. If you're anywhere close to Lancaster, go to the Row House. Uh, org and get your uh, get your Eventbrite ticket for that event. There will be coffee, there will be Danish, and there will be some Danish beer, some Copenhagen, uh, some beer from Copenhagen, Carlsberg. Uh, so to talk to preserve one's soul and patience versus gain, uh, this is uh, the God himself is patient. Uh, it's the God of patience, so this is Romans 15.5. Uh, God is also the God of peace and the God of hope. Uh, so these three, three things are related, uh, patience, peace, and hope. But I like how God is called the God of patience because he lives in eternity, Romans 15 5. And that's uh, the idea that we should be forbearing like Christ Jesus is towards us and the God the Father is towards us. So we're supposed to be strong, the strong bearing the infirmities of the weak, not to please the self. And so when I'm out there driving, I should have more compassion 
especially on the slow drivers, because I'm going to be old too, and I'm going to require and going to need that younger people be patient with me. Uh, so as long as people aren't dangerous and they're abiding by the rules of the road, uh, we should be kind to them and, and bear with the infirmities of the weak. The people that are arrogant and self uh, selfish, I think we could be a little bit more confrontational with in a way that we call them out on their behavior. But strong bearing the infirmities of the weak, uh, not to please ourselves. We please our neighbor for his good and edification. And Christ did not please himself. Uh, he bore under the reproaches for our patience and our learning and comfort of the scriptures. For our patience and our learning and comfort of the scriptures. The God of patience and consolation be like-minded uh, one towards another according to Christ Jesus. And uh, a commentator called Benson said, a disposition to live in peace with one another. So where there's a lot of conflict, there's typically a lot of selfishness. That's just another word for selfishness. And James talks about that, that you know, people who are worldly are being driven by their passions and their lusts. And when they come into collision with one another, there's a lot of conflict. And you see that around the holidays with families. If a family's full of selfish people, there's usually a lot of arguing and a lot of people getting upset and a lot of people drinking too much the spirit of as a comforter and also a convictor so the holy spirit plays two roles he is a comforter to the believer but also a convictor and not just of the believer but also of the world that jesus said the holy spirit came and comes into the world so it convicts the world of sin and of judgment to come, but also he talks about the Holy Spirit as a comforter. So it depends which side of the Holy Spirit we want to we want to access. Uh, he will do both because both are necessary. A word for us comfort is conquered, which I love that word conquered. Uh, it's the name of a place in Massachusetts. It's one of the places that the, uh, the Revolutionary War also kicked off, which is kind of an interesting irony that conquered Lexington and conquered, uh, but conquered means uh, comfort. And Barnabas in the scriptures is, is, is a model of a comforting, of comforting person. And he helped uh, John Mark get back into ministry after that John Mark chickened out and left Paul abandoned and uh, orphaned sort of. Uh, not, orphan's not really the right word, but John Mark had gone with uh, Paul on a missionary journey and left Paul alone you know, to face the trials. And Paul wasn't happy about it, of course, to be abandoned. And uh, Barnabas kind of nurtured John Mark back into, uh, into maturity or helped build maturity into him. So it takes people. It takes both. Uh, there has to be a Paul and there has to be a Barnabas. These two personalities help each other. Uh, pagans called the patience, called patience the invention of the gods. And that's from Gill's Exposition. And equality among them. So one thing that leads to peace and patience is to realize that we're all equal before God. That everybody deserves uh, the dignity that God has bestowed upon them. And that we're to love one another. I like, I like this thing. We talked about last week, let your yes be yes and your no be no. That it gets frustrating when people give us a lot of maybes because it's another way of saying no. Um, and this doesn't really relate to the patience piece necessarily, but I, I like the idea, refer to the podcast, that I'd rather somebody say, hey, I'm not coming on your podcast, I'm not interested, 
rather than just uh, string me along or when you have an event or a party and people will like give you a maybe versus a yes or no now you can t tell people there's still there's a lot of unsettled in my life i'm not sure yet i'd like to come and that's an authentic answer that's fine but we all know the personality type of the person that gives you a maybe when you know based on past experience the chance they're going to show up is a zero uh, you have enough of a, a of a of a background on the person enough of a track record to know that that maybe is a no and we have to uh, be very clear with people if we're in a position to be able to say yes or no, just to say yes or no. It's, it resolves a lot of difficulty and a lot of energy wasting and a lot of frustration if we can just be clear with people. So I like this uh, from Cahill Gilbron in the book, The Prophet. If you refuse then to be clear about it, uh, for an ambiguous refusal is but a weak acceptance. Uh, I'm a big believer in being clear with people, being straight up and just calling it like I see it if I'm prepared to do so. And if I need time, um, like there would be kids that wanted me to send their college applications out immediately. And that's not realistic because they don't have much of an understanding of what I'm dealing with. Uh, but I would try to at least get back to them uh, with a quick email and say, hey, I'm working on it. I got a lot going on and then give them a proposed timetable of like you should expect me to have this finished maybe by Friday that did a lot to diffuse a, a kid and a parent who's getting stressed out because they're afraid that their materials are not being submitted on on time and if you give people a sense that hey I can't do it right now but I'm going to do it and this is what my game plan is and if you do it let them know and if you couldn't do it for some reason you have to let them know again a little bit of commu communication goes a long way, and that's actually being patient, is knowing, knowing my workload well enough to be able to assess it accurately and not be uh, rushed or frantic, because uh, a frantic person often can't give a clear answer. I was extremely organized in my job, and it didn't come easy. It wasn't a natural trait of mine to be an organized person. I had to learn it over time. And I developed systems that were very effective to manage my task. And so if a kid came in with a crisis, I could be very attentive to them and listen and not be stressed out because I had a pile of stuff that I had to do. Is I knew where I was at most of the time in work in terms of what my workflow was, and it allowed me to be a lot more in the moment and not to be distracted with the idea that, hey, I really can't talk right now because, and I can't listen because I got a, a boatload of things to do because I'm not organized enough to have control over my workflow. So I, as I matured as an individual and I worked matured in my role, I was able to be a lot more calm in situations because I had a lot more mastery of my, uh, my workload and the tasks that needed to be done and a better ability to understand how long it was going to take and then communicate those things. Uh, and that's a form of patience. That's a form of being centered in a situation that we can, uh, we can express clearly to people uh, what our expectations are and what we need them to do and we're not hiding that we're not inferring things I think it's just be clear and with my dad's situation when he went into assisted living I was pretty clear with my family early on that we all needed to do something to help out the situation that I wasn't going to absorb a hundred percent or close to 100 percent of the duties and my, my brothers were willing to help out of course they weren't being uh, oppositional to start with but I just had to be really clear that we all can do something here to take the burden off of me specifically and I wasn't attempting to be selfish but I I didn't retire to become my dad's caretaker I didn't want to do that I retired in order to enjoy the fruit of my labors and I would certainly play a role but I wanted to be really clear at the beginning with my brothers that I thought that we all had a role to play 
and it's really worked out nicely. And I hear stories from my colleagues and former colleagues who are teachers. We tend to be helpers. We tend to absorb responsibility. It's just our personality. We wouldn't become teachers and educators if we weren't like that. But they felt like they've been kind of handed a uh, situation with their parent that the other, the other siblings are just letting them do because they're the person that's retired. And that's not fair. So my family, I was very, very clear at the beginning uh, that we all had a role to play. And my brothers, to their credit, stepped up and in some ways have done more than I have, uh, at least recently, because I played a role that was pretty intense for the first three to four months until we got our, our, my dad into a safer location and a safer residence besides his condo. But everybody's really stepped up. And we all have different gifts. Like uh, one of my brothers is really good financially, so he's helped uh, iron out the estate. Uh, one of my brothers is very kind to my dad, and he's much better to run errands with my dad because I tend to get frustrated with my dad because my dad's acting like an old person, and he doesn't listen very well. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I expect my dad to treat me with respect, and sometimes my dad just doesn't, unfortunately. Uh, he tends to be dismissive of what I... Uh, what I say and what I hear. And it's just the way he is. Uh, my, my, one of my brothers tends to be much kinder towards my dad in that way and just able to bear under that. It just reminds me of being a kid where my dad didn't give me a lot of credit for stuff and didn't nurture me. And so I, I get frustrated when my dad treats me like a five-year-old when I'm 60 years old. And he doesn't quite understand that I worked in a career where I had to make a lot of decisions very quickly that were accurate and kind and purposeful. And when he dismisses that and doesn't give me that credit. I'm like, what do you think I did for 30 years? Do you understand that I had a very stressful job and I had to manage a lot? And you questioning everything I do and everything I say or close to it <laughs> is very frustrating. And I try to make light of it, but it's hard sometimes. And then my uh, sister-in-law helps out a lot with the healthcare because uh, she's well-versed in that area. And she helped uh, move my dad to a new health plan and she sits on the meetings online uh, through the phone and so we all did, we've all done something and it's been really great and I really appreciate the, the fact that uh, my brothers have stepped up but I was very clear at the beginning and I stepped on some toes because I was so clear <laughs> but I was like I don't want this to become a problem and then try to fix it later I'm gonna be very clear at the beginning how I see this thing going and then if I'm not clear it's my fault because they'll perceive my uh, my um, what is it my ambiguous refusal is but a weak acceptance. I wanted to be very clear that I needed help, and I still play a role here, of course. I'm the kind of the manager of the entire thing, and I'm the communicator. And I tend to deal with the, uh, the assisted living facility when they call and tend to deal with some of those kind of logistic issues. And, uh, yeah, and that's worked out really well. But I stepped on some toes at the beginning, uh, but I wanted to be very clear, and I think we can all agree it turned out pretty good. I'm thankful for it. So, anyway, I'm very help. I'm very thankful for the listeners here. The podcast does not go from uh, zero to a hundred. It goes from uh, fifty-five to fifty-six to fifty-seven. Sometimes back to fifty-five. But the overall trend is that the podcast is growing. Not that that's the only thing I look at, but I want to uh, make sure that the podcast is sustaining itself. Uh, I'm not an idiot. If it were to drop off a lot, I would realize that the audience is left, and that's okay. Um, but I want to make sure that I continue to do a good job with this. It's, again, it's very frustrating with guests to try to get people to participate. I sent an e another email to a third person, not the person last week, but another person who has written a book about uh, fear and trembling and haven't heard back. 
So I think people are just very, very busy and they have very little inclination to help me. And I, I'm, I'm not going to perceive it as they want to protect their little nest with Soren Kierkegaard. They want to be the expert and don't want to spread the wealth. I don't want to see it that way, although that could be a possibility. I think people are just too busy and uh, the priority level is just not high enough when Eric Bierker uh, sends an email that they feel the need to say yes. So anyway, uh, but it's frustrating not hearing back. It's disrespectful in my opinion. Uh, it's not too hard to send an email just say, hey, I'm too busy. Thanks for asking. I appreciate it. Best, best wishes on your podcast. That would be better than just ignoring me. Anyway, so we're going to end. Last week I didn't hit the chime at the end, but I'll do it this time. Hopefully uh, today's a good one. And uh, take a deep breath uh, for me. Pray for me that I see the fruits of becoming more patient when I drive, that I get less frustrated. <laughs> I know it's a problem. I know I need to be more patient, and it just the, that 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 uh, two-lane thing just just frustrates the heck out of me, man. And uh, I need I need to create a third lane in my mind, I suppose, and in my soul. So anyway, hopefully my admission of guilt here is heartening that I uh, don't pretend like I have it all figured out. In the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen.